2 Samuel chapter 12. Yahweh sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb which he had bought and raised. It grew up together with him and with his children. It ate his food and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was like a daughter to him. A traveller came to the rich man and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to prepare for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. David's anger burned hot against the man and he said to Nathan, As Yahweh lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. He must restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are the man. This is what Yahweh the God of Israel says. I anointed you the king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your bosom, and I gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that would have been too little, I would have added to you many more such things. Why have you despised Yahweh's word to do that which is evil in his sight? You have struck Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife. You have slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken Uriah the Hittite's wife to be your wife. This is what Yahweh said. Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbour, and he will lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did this secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against Yahweh. Nathan said to David, Yahweh also has put away your sin, you will not die. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to Yahweh's enemies to blaspheme, the child also who, who is born to you will surely die. And Nathan departed to his house. Yahweh struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and it was very sick. David therefore begged God for the child, and David fasted, and went in, and lay all night on the ground. The elders of the house arose beside him to raise him up from the earth, but he would not, and he didn't eat bread with them. On the seventh day, the child died. David's servants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him, and he didn't listen to our voice. How will he then harm himself if we tell, them that, tell him that the child is dead? But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David perceived that the child was dead, and David said to his servants, Is the child dead? They said, He is dead. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothing, and he came into Yahweh's house and worshipped. Then he came to his own house, and when he requested, they set bread before him, and he ate. Then his servant said to him, What is this that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child when he was alive. But when the child was dead, you rose up and ate bread. He said, While the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who knows whether Yahweh will not be gracious to me, that the child may live. But now he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? 
I will go to him, but he will not return to me. David comforted Bathsheba his wife and went into her and lay with her. She bore a son and he called his name Solomon. Yahweh loved him and he sent by the hand of Nathan the prophet and he named him Jedidiah for Yahweh's sake. Now Joab fought against Rabbah of the children of Ammon and took the royal city. Joab sent messengers to David and said, I have fought against Rabbah. Yes, I have taken the city of waters. Now therefore gather the rest of the people together and encamp against the city and take it, lest I take the city and it be called by my name. David gathered all the people together and went to Rabbah and fought against it and took it. He took the crown off their king from off his head and its weight was a talent of gold and in it were precious stones and it was set on David's head. He brought a great, a great quantity of plunder out of the city. He brought out people who were in it and put them under saws, under iron picks, under axes of iron and made them pass through the brick kiln. And he did so to all the cities of the children of Ammon. Then David and all the people returned to Jerusalem. So in this chapter, we now see the consequences of David's terrible sin in the last chapter. And it begins with Nathan the prophet coming. Now you'll notice that Nathan the prophet comes right after the child is born. So Bathsheba is pregnant. So the sin has happened, you know, nine months ago. The second part of the sin, the murdering of Uriah, is going to be seven months ago or, or something like that because it takes time to find out she's pregnant. And meanwhile, he's been away at the war this entire time. So you can see that... Um, that there's a whole, you know, a whole period of time. And then Nathan doesn't come for like seven months. She gives birth. The Lord is displeased. But David doesn't seem to think about it. Or maybe he's bothered. But, he, you know, when people commit sin, sometimes they're ashamed. But what do you do? You know, most people who've committed a terrible sin, they don't want to talk about it. They want to cover it up and hide it. The best thing you can do is to find someone to trust and to talk about it. Now, um... It gets tricky because in Queensland they've now passed laws about mandatory reporting. Um, so I think the best thing to do is if you've committed a terrible crime, um, the best thing is to be willing to admit to that terrible crime and to, to start the process of healing the soul, which you do before the Lord, overcoming shame, but then you know making amends to those around you. And um, one of the best ways to, to, to be healed uh, is to, to go through a process of repenting before the Lord, being honest about what you've done, sharing that with other people, getting their involvement in prayer, and making amends, you know, putting things right. The Alcoholics Anonymous, they had a 12-step process that they would walk through, and this, um, this process has gotten many men free of alcohol over the years, but part of that process, one of the 12 steps is making amends. <laughs> And there are people, I've known alcoholics who've been in, in church and uh, one of them was a real friend, a real good friend of mine and he'd been sober for so many years but he told me that a certain thing that he had to do, he said, this is the last of the amends I have to make. <laughs> you know, well, we don't hear where David makes amends in the Bible. Um, presumably in all these seven months, he's kept this thing a secret. We just assume, and a lot of people do, they keep things a secret. But even if it, it, there's criminal repercussions, it's worth getting something out into the open, getting it off your chest, being able to receive you know, 
counsel and advice and prayer and you'll find that you feel so much better when you become honest and open about who, who you've been and what you've done and the struggles and, and the, the, the light of the Lord will flood into your soul is what we will see does end up happening to David when it all comes out. So Nathan eventually approaches David and it's you know, maybe seven months later at the time that this child is born. And um, what happens is that Nathan tells him a story and the story, you know, we just read it. And when David hears the story, he's so angry, he pronounces judgment on the man in the story, but he doesn't realize he's judging himself. And um, uh, this is a, a thing that every single one of us do. What, what happens is when David pronounces judgment on this man in the story, without knowing it was himself, he says, this man deserves to die. And according to the Old Testament law, that actually was the truth. He did deserve to be stoned. And then David says he must pay back four times what he took because he had no pity. Well, what, um, what Bathsheba lost was her husband. David didn't just take from, you know, David didn't just take um, Uriah's wife away and commit adultery. He also took her husband away. And what would four times uh, the death of someone's husband be? It would be the loss of four other lives. And David pronounced that over his own family. And what we see in all the chapters that are to follow is that four of David's sons will die in tragic, tragic circumstances. And the first one is this little unnamed, man, little unnamed boy right here in this chapter. They didn't name often, didn't name boys until the eighth day when they were circumcised. And this little boy died on the seventh day. So he never got a name. And, um, but this little boy was the first of these boys to die in tragic circumstances. And I think that little boy, he's with the Lord and he so probably loves the Lord. And um, you know, the Lord is so kind and gracious that even in the difficulty of these circumstances where it, it, you know, the Lord somehow is also so merciful and so gracious. We're gonna meet this little boy one day in heaven and, um, but he's the first of four of David's sons to die. And as the consequences unfold, uh, you know, evolve or unfold, we're gonna see David's firstborn, Amnon, die. We're gonna see David's thirdborn, Absalom, die. And we're gonna see David's fourthborn, Adonijah, die. All of them in difficult circumstances. The secondborn, Kiliab, no one knows what happened to him. He might have died as well, not sure. So David proclaims his own judgment here. He doesn't know he's judging himself. And in the New Testament, there's some interesting discussion about judgment. Jesus said, he said, judge lest not you be judged, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. That's what we see here. David used a measurement of fourfold, and what, what came back to David was fourfold. Um, Paul, talking about judgment, he talks about you know, proclaiming judgment over others, but not realizing that we ourselves commit the same sins. And this is actually true. We, we could look at a passage like this about David and we could say, you know, I can't believe he did that. And we could have lots of things to say. Or it might be other people in the world. It could be a, a famous preacher. And every now and then you hear of a famous preacher that's fallen into some sin. And you could easily condemn and judge them because you didn't do the exact same sin. You assume that you're not guilty of it. But that's not the case. You are very often guilty of the same sin. In the mind of the Lord, you're guilty of the same sin. Christ said, and you, 
you realize this from Christ's words, that the Lord thinks very differently about sin to us. Christ said that if a man looks at a woman and commits, that he lusts after her, he commits adultery in his heart. Or you could paraphrase that and say, you know, if a woman looks at a man and, and, and thinks that that man's relationship with his wife is so good, I wish he was my husband, same thing. It's that desire for romance or whatever that, that a woman sees. It's the, it's the same sin. It's adultery in the heart. So when you, know, you judge uh, someone that's fallen and they should have known better for sure, and you judge them and condemn them and you say words, you know, but you don't realize that the same sin resides in your own heart. And so you speak words of judgment on them, but you do what David did here and you just judge yourself. And so that's why we should be merciful and if anything, we should pray for prominent uh, ministries and prominent people because they're the target of the devil. The devil wants to see these people pulled down. And often, what may be a little temptation for you is a much harder temptation to overcome for them because there's a whole aspect of spiritual warfare that's against them. And often, you know, often ministers are very much on their own. They don't have anyone to confide in because, because they've been built so high and they stand on these high pedestals they don't have anyone to share their, their heart with to say, you know what, I'm struggling in these areas, please pray for me. If they did that, their whole ministry would collapse. And that's what's so wonderful about the apostolic ministry that we have here at Peace and, and people have in other places. This whole idea of fathership and sonship in the ministry and, and being you know, in accountable relationships where we do, we do share our heart with each other. And years ago, there was a message by Apostle Chuck Clayton preached in this church. You might be able to find it on our website if you look for Chuck Clayton. And uh, he said that every believer needs a Paul, a Timothy, and a Barnabas. Well, a Paul is someone over the Lord that you walk with. Uh, Timothy um, is someone under you, the Lord, that you serve as a father. So you're, you're mentor, you're, you should be mentoring someone. You should be mentored by someone. And you should have Barnabases around you, people that you walk alongside with who encourage you. Brothers in the Lord, you encourage them, they encourage you. And all of these relationships are accountable. All of them are open-hearted. And where you're honest about how you feel. And if you have those relationships in life, you never get to the place where you're isolated and you can't share. If you're in a place where you're isolated and you can't be honest with people, you need to begin. You need to find a trusted person that you can share with and open up your heart and get prayer and start to move on. And so anyway, David proclaims his own judgment and we must be very careful to be merciful to others. So um, the great sin here is, of course, the, is the murder, but the adultery is also a terrible sin. Now, Nathan comes to David, he confronts him with his sin and this was, I'm almost certain, something Nathan didn't want to do. <laughs> Doesn't tell us how Nathan felt here. But I'm pretty sure going to the king to confront him and say you're a sinner and God's displeased with you, not a comfortable thing to do. There are other prophets in the Old Testament that had to do similar things to other kings. One of them was Zechariah, who was the son of, um, the son of, what was the name of the priest? Jehoiada the priest. So Jehoiada was the, was the priest that put King Joash on the throne when Joash was just a little eight-year-old boy. Well, Jehoiada dies. Joash grows up and becomes an adult king. And Jehoiada's son, Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah, he goes in to confront Joash over a sin. Joash stones him to death. So you can see <laughs> um, it could be tricky if you're a prophet having to confront a king at times. 
And um, Nathan, I'm, he does a very, very brave thing. And to David's credit, he humbles himself immediately and repents. Now, I think David was probably, probably greatly bothered, but also greatly relieved that it was finally in the open. And um, I did a, a bit of research a few weeks ago on this phrase, because in, in this chapter, David says, I have sinned. Um, I did some research on the phrase, I have sinned in the Bible, and I found it appears about uh, seven or eight times. Seven or eight different people say it. And I found it very interesting. The first person that said, I have sinned in the Bible was Pharaoh of Egypt with the plagues. And the plagues were getting worse and worse and worse. But Pharaoh doesn't repent. In fact, he's not even sorry. He doesn't even believe that, that you know, the Lord is the real God. He only says, I have sinned because he wants the plague to stop. And see, he just doesn't like the consequences. There's another person called Achan. We covered him in the book of um, Joshua. And Achan is, is caught staking, taking things from the city of Jericho that he shouldn't have. And he says, I have sinned. But he doesn't repent either. Um, we go through the Bible and there's uh, Shimei, who later on, we haven't got to him yet, he throws dirt, rod, uh, mud and rocks onto David. Later on, when the situation turns around, he says to David, I have sinned. But he doesn't repent. He's not, he's not even really remorseful. He just doesn't like the consequences. And we get to the New Testament, we've got Judas. Judas says, I have sinned. But he doesn't repent. He goes and commits suicide. David repents. He, it's unusual. It's amazing how many people acknowledge, I've done the wrong thing, but they just don't like the consequences. If the consequences weren't there, they would never have said, I have sinned. David's attitude is, is so unique. It's unique even today for people to, to see how the seriousness of sin, to realize that sin is, is not something that just doing a bad thing that messes your life up, but sin is something against God. And David says, I have sinned against, I have sinned against the Lord. And he wrote a psalm, Psalm 51, that we, we sometimes sing in church. And I'm going to read to you just a few verses. Psalm 51, written at the time of the incident of Bathsheba. He says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Poor bloke, he couldn't stop thinking about it. He says, against you and you only have I sinned and I've done evil in your sight. You are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Stop there. I'll read a few more verses in a minute. See how he says, against you I have sinned. And he says, you're justified in your verdict. Um, a lot of people, when they um, sin, they, they give reasons. Well, I did it because of this. Or I did it because of this. They justify themselves. David doesn't justify here. He just says, you are just. You are right in your verdict. And that's, that's unusual too. So I, I encourage you, when you are repenting, you realize that it's sinning against the Lord. You're ruining your relationship with him. But you also have people on earth that you've ruined your relationship to that you have to fix up with as well. But then don't justify. If you apologize either to God or to people, don't justify. Just say, I've done the wrong thing. You know, and say to the Lord, you are right. And, um, and David goes on to not, he, he doesn't just want to be forgiven, he wants to change. 
And this is the next few verses here. And these, these are the ones we've sometimes sung in church. Keith Green wrote a song with these lyrics. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed. O God, you are my saviour and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Notice that? His righteousness. We want to get his righteousness inside of us. In the New Testament, 1 John 1, 8 and 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So what we're looking uh, to the Lord for is to be forgiven, but we want to change. We want to be purified. We want to be cleansed. We want to have a clean heart. We want to have his righteousness. So that's why we, we go to the Lord uh, and we seek his grace. So I want to finish with um, just this little comment on the names of the two sons here. So in, in the end of this chapter 12, David has another son. Now this son is Solomon, who's going to eventually become the king. So David marries Bathsheba properly now, and she becomes one of his, one of 22, he had 22 wives, she becomes one of them. But I get the sense from my reading that she becomes his, his, his preferred wife, or she becomes like his real wife. Uh, and the others were kind of like women in his life, but she's the one that he sees as his wife. I get that sense. Uh, and one of the reasons I get that sense is because he has three children with her. But if you add up the amount of children David has and the amount of wives he has, it seems like he has less. Um, it's, like one, it's like one son per wife, roughly speaking. Although Michael, the daughter of um, Saul, he has no children with her. But it's roughly like one son per wife. It's like, you've had a son, that's it. But with Bathsheba, he has three. So it's like a, a wife that he held close to him. And I think that this whole incident that he went through with this story, somehow it brought them together. And uh, I don't, there's a bit of guesswork in what I'm saying. But what happens is this boy that's born here, who's Solomon, they give him the name Solomon, which, which is based off the Hebrew word for peace, shalom. It means in peace, you know, Shalomo or Solomon. It's, um, it's a wonderful name. And I think that by the time Solomon is born, David is at peace. He knows I'm a sinner. I've done what's wrong in the Lord's eyes, but the Lord loves me. <laughs> and, and he has the joy of salvation. And he know, like, there's nothing quite like being forgiven all your sins. So the consequences of this are going to still outflow all the years ahead. But David knows the Lord loves him. And then the Lord sends Nathan the prophet along again. And the Lord says, I want to name this boy Jedidiah. So God gives Solomon a name and David gives Solomon a name. These two names. And one, the name Jedidiah means loved by God. And the name that David gives means in peace. And if you think about David, after he's been through this, he knows He's loved by God and he's in peace. And I just want to say to you that it doesn't matter what sin you've committed, if you go through the process of true repentance, the, the type that, that appreciates what Christ has done and wants to change, if you go through this process, he will wash your sins away white as snow and he will bring you to the place where you are at peace and you will know you are loved by God. It's the most wonderful thing. There are people out there that take God for granted and they think I can do whatever I want and he's just going to forgive me. But if you, people like that are actually not forgiven at all and they're definitely not in peace and the Lord withholds his love from them. 
He loves them, but they don't experience his love. But there's something about being forgiven by God, which is so, so wonderful. And you know what? After all of this, David so appreciated the prophet Nathan that the third son that was born to Bathsheba and David was called Nathan. Let's pray. Father, I ask you to bless my listeners today. Lord, we thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ that washes our sins away. Thank you for the stream that flowed from Calvary. Thank you for the river of living water. Lord, we're so grateful to be in the family of God. I ask, Lord, that you help us now to walk the way you've called us to. But Lord, I also thank you, Lord, for the peace of God. I thank you that we are loved by God. I thank you that David is a picture <laughs> of all that you can do. We're so grateful. In Jesus' name, amen.